If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So to begin, this story happened back in 2018. I arrived in this small rural town near Cape May. The company I was working for at the time was sending me out to go door-to-door advertising cable and Wi-Fi that they wanted me to sell. I was getting weird vibes all throughout the day as the town itself was very small and a bit creepy, with people staring at me or giving me the cold shoulder for the entire day. It seemed like a lot of the townsfolk that I encountered that day were on edge, and it was a weird, tense atmosphere that I shrugged off as people are weird all the time. I've continued doing my job, chugging a Red Bull to keep me going. 
which didn't affect me at all, surprisingly. Besides the weird atmosphere, the scenery was actually quite pretty once you got off of the main road. I had to stop at different streets and somewhere in the woods on long and seemingly beautiful endless roads. It was quite scenic. Just before sunset, I was scheduled to visit a few houses on a small peninsula. To get to this peninsula, you had to go down a very long road past the summer camp area, past the trailer park, past the woods, and then you finally find yourself in a small open area with a bay marsh, a couple small expensive houses, and shore access. The houses were so close to the water it seemed to be a code violation, but I'm sure they were built to withstand storms since they looked so expensive. Every house had its own lane, and the area was mostly deserted. Only one house had someone inside whom I had talked to after knocking on his door. I was so distracted looking at the houses and scenery that I didn't notice how fast sunset was approaching. I came to the realization that I should start heading back to avoid being alone on that long deserted pathway in the woods. As a smaller female, I'm never comfortable after dark in isolated places, especially without cell service. I was making my way down the path so far so good, as it wasn't completely dark yet. As I approached the wooded area of the road, I was walking a bit faster, since there were no street lights and the sunlight was rapidly disappearing. As I walked at a decently fast pace, I noticed something. The woods were eerily quiet. All the life that I was hearing before was gone. No crickets, no birds, just pure silence. I stopped in my tracks and got chills down my spine as I felt the feeling that I was being watched. I looked around the dark woods for any sudden movements, and then, like clockwork, something up ahead made its way out of the tree line. It looked to be some type of large animal. My brain went into overdrive analyzing whatever this animal was. Was it a bear? A dog? No, it looked like a large dog. But dogs don't get this big. Though I was intimidated by its large size, whatever it was hadn't noticed me. Even though I was scared, I also didn't want to walk back and go into that one man's house. As a woman, I would rather take my chances with a wild animal than be alone with a man I don't know in a deserted holiday neighborhood. Suddenly, as I was thinking this, the large animal in the distance had finally noticed my presence. It was observing me, not entirely sure of what to do with me. There wasn't enough light anymore for me to see the animal's face, but I felt unusually frightened. Whatever I was looking at was definitely too big to be a black bear with a shoulder height of at least five feet on all fours, which is comparable in size to a brown bear. The mass on this creature was extensive, as the outline of what I could see looked like a wolf on steroids. It was very muscular. I also noticed that the outline of its face was very similar to that of a German shepherd or a wolf, as it had perked ears and a long snout. In the heat of the moment, I could only hear the sound of my heart palpitating as fear and adrenaline started to crawl its way into my bloodstream. It felt as if time stood still, and then it dawned on me. What I was looking at wasn't a normal animal, and it was simply too big to be any animal that I could recognize from New Jersey's catalog of fauna, and if it wanted to attack me, I would be powerless against it. It was simply too big, though... To calm myself down, I threw the idea that this creature was out of the ordinary out because I felt like this could be rationalized somehow. 
I made my brain go back to the idea of this being maybe being a large dog or coyote. I also did not believe in cryptids and was completely unaware of what size coyotes are supposed to be. So I made a quick decision. Realizing that this could very well be a life or death situation, I came to the conclusion that this very large dog-like creature was probably a skittish coyote that I could scare off. At least temporarily, to calm down my nerves. What other choice did I have? The longer I kept standing there, the more aggressive I might come across to this animal, and I didn't want it to get territorial or get the idea that I was easy prey. So I decided I would make the most hideous, loud, confusing, and startling scream, howl I could muster, and just sprint the rest of the way. After I screeched this hideous sound out of my body as hard as I could, the animal quickly changed its body language to defensive but then it quickly changed its mind to deciding I wasn't worth a fight as it ran a decent distance into the woods. Not too far, though. I decided to sprint as fast as I could past that area and beyond. I sprinted until I reached the end of the road and noticed there was a summer camp area with streetlights near me. I rested on top of a table there, out of breath, and feeling my heart pound out of my chest. However, I was still very shaken up and still felt like I was being watched. I kept my eyes on the tree line. My eyes were darting around, looking for any sign this animal was still there. Once I felt like the coast was clear, I located the next house I was scheduled to visit. And I quickly made my way over. I met a nice family who ended up buying cable from me, and I told them what had happened to me that night, and how I was treated by the locals. The lady of the family, who I presumed to be the mother, said, I don't know why they sent you out here alone. These woods are dangerous after dark, and there are creepy people who live around here. The impression she was giving me was that there were animal encounters she couldn't explain, and that there were lots of ex-convicts in the area, and people who should have been arrested but haven't been. She was equally concerned about the people as she was the animals around this place. This gave me goosebumps. How many times today could my life have been taken? They were extremely concerned for my safety and told me to contact my team leader so I could get picked up. They said they didn't want me to go outside again and that I should call it quits for the night and not make it to any other houses. Till this day, I still have no idea what creature I had encountered. There are strange things in the woods, things people don't speak about or cover up. I felt like the townsfolk of that town knew something about what I encountered. So weird creature I encountered in those woods, let's never meet again. One, 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 one. So I was packed in the Gila Wilderness a few miles on a solo elk hunt. This was an area that you had to pack water in, so it was not a friendly place. On the eleventh day of the hunt, I was approaching my sawtooth tippy at the end of the day, and right before dark, as I neared the teepee, I noticed that it looked like the door was opened up, my first thought was that a bear ripped it open because there are plenty of them in this area. The hair on my neck immediately stood up. I had no sidearm, so I grabbed an arrow out of my quiver and continued towards my teepee. To my surprise, the door was not ripped open, but just unzipped. I was thinking, WTF? So now I am about twenty feet from the teepee in the evening light, had about five to ten minutes left until dark. As I am looking into the teepee, I see movement. Then some person sits up inside. Again, I was like, WTF. At that point, I yelled, 
who the F are you and WTF are you doing in my tippy and WTF are you doing in my sleeping bag? He replies, I wasn't in your bag. I was just laying down on top. I got lost and I thought the owner left it out here and went to town. So he starts to come out of the tippy and as he did, I was pointing my arrow at him. I said, put your hands where I can see them, which he did. This guy looked wicked crazy. Long, scraggy black hair, big yellow teeth, and blood all over his clothes. He was also muttering over and over, I didn't do what they said I did. Mole just kidding. He looked like a six-feet-tall, 55-year-old, balding white guy wearing glasses, dressed in street clothes, sneakers, no backpack, no jacket, no gear at all. He said he was with his friends who had killed an elk earlier that day, and he got separated. I fired off a few questions trying to make heads or tails of his story, but it went in a couple directions and didn't make much sense. Something was not right. As I was questioning him, he just started walking away. I'm like, hey, you can't go without a light. I have a spare light, and you can just put it at the junction of the main road, and I'll find it. But the dude just kept walking away. Now this place is a rocky SOB, and the nights at the time were super dark until about 2 a.m., person would not do well trying to walk around without a light. So the dude started walking away and wouldn't take any help. At that point I thought, oh shit, check your gear. I quickly go in the teepee and notice that all my stuff had been moved from where I had placed them, and then I see that my dinner water was gone, and the effort wasn't on top of my sleeping bag, he was in the darn thing. And I ran out of the teepee and shouted some things towards his direction. I was basically out of water and not happy about him drinking my last water for dinner. I know he probably needed it, but I needed it as well. I'd just covered a bunch of miles that day, plus I had been out there busting my ass for eleven days. To wrap this story up, I cleaned my gear the best I could because just the thought of someone in my bag bothered me very much. I had some wet wipes and paper towels, but even after that I still felt violated. Now this guy was out there in the darkness and probably wasn't very far away, so I left my light on inside the tippy, then sat about twenty yards away, just watching and listening for about an hour in case he came back. I didn't get much rest that night. In a picturesque rural town nestled amidst the towering mountains of Colorado, the sun bathed the landscape in its golden embrace. Birds chirped melodiously, and life carried on in blissful ignorance of the impending terror that awaited. Beyond the town, a dense forest loomed ominously, its ancient trees casting long shadows over the land. Within the depths of this forest, an unseen predator stirred, its monstrous form shrouded in darkness. Unbeknownst to the townspeople, this creature would soon unleash chaos upon their tranquil existence. In a cozy cafe at the heart of the town, John sat peacefully, savoring the aroma of freshly brewed coffee. The chatter of townspeople filled the air, their conversations a symphony of everyday life. Little did they know that their world was about to be shattered. The once lively town square transformed into a scene of panic and chaos. Pandemonium erupted as panicked crowds scattered in every direction, their screams piercing the air. The unseen predator prowled through the streets, leaving a trail of destruction and death in its wake. In no time, rural town was no more, and more than fifty people were killed. A few days later, in the heart of the untamed wilderness, I, John, found my home. 
with weathered features and eyes that held the wisdom of countless hunts, I was an old hunter of Cherokee descent. The land flowed through my veins, connecting me to the spirits of the forest and the ancient knowledge passed down through generations. During a seasonal hunting gathering in Appalachia, I joined a group of seasoned hunters in a remote lodge nestled deep within the towering pines. The moon, radiant and majestic, cast an ethereal glow upon the land, filling our hearts with anticipation. As the moon reached its peak, an unsettling feeling settled over us. Strange sounds echoed through the night, mysterious knocks on doors and windows that seemed to originate from the darkness beyond. The air crackled with an otherworldly energy, stirring a primal instinct within us, warning that we were not alone. With cautious steps, we ventured outside the lodge, exchanging nervous glances and feeling the weight of the unknown pressing upon us. Whispers danced through the air, carrying secrets that eluded human comprehension. And then it revealed itself, a creature unlike anything we had encountered before. It stood tall and menacing, resembling a bear but larger, its human-like features etched with malevolence. Fear ignited our senses, propelling us into a frantic flight from the creature's grasp. Through the wilderness we ran, desperately seeking refuge. Our wearied legs carried us towards a glimmer of hope, a small town on the horizon. But our relief was short-lived. The town, once teeming with life, now lay abandoned and haunted. Fifty souls were extinguished, victims of a gruesome violence that stained the streets. A chilling connection between our pasts and the town's dark secrets began to unravel, gripping our hearts with icy tendrils of paranoia. The horror we had unknowingly stumbled upon threatened to consume us all. The cryptid, the harbinger of ancient terror, pursued us relentlessly. We knew that we had to face this malevolence head, on to confront the evil that lurked within the shadows. Holding tightly to our weapons, we steeled ourselves for the battle ahead, seeking solace within the town's boundaries. Yet, fate reveled in its cruelty, for the creature struck with swift precision. One by one, my fellow hunters fell, their lives extinguished by its merciless fury. I stood alone, battered and broken, my spirit on the brink of surrender. As hope teetered on the edge of oblivion, a sound shattered the silence. A roaring chopper and the distant rumble of tanks. The symphony of battle unfolded, predator meeting its match in a clash of power. Tears streamed down my face as I listened knowing that the monster that had haunted my nightmares was meeting its demise at the hands of those sent to protect. After what felt like an eternity, the battle subsided. Empowered by the flickering flame of survival, I yearned to escape the accursed town. But my hopes were dashed when I overheard three men in black, their intentions veiled in secrecy, discussing the elimination of any remaining witness. Their mission held precedence over human life, and I found myself trapped once more. Knowing that I was now marked for death, I retreated into the shadows, biding my time. Within me grew a resolve fueled by the memories of my fallen comrades and a burning desire for justice. In the face of darkness, I vowed to expose the truth, to ensure that the secrets hidden within the town's forsaken streets would be unveiled. And so, with a heart filled with courage, I prepared for the final confrontation that would determine my fate 
and uncover the chilling mysteries of the cryptid. This national park is located at the tip of Dr. County, Wisconsin on Lake Michigan. It's a difficult place to get to. To get to the island, you have to take a car ferry from Ellison Bay to Washington Island, drive across Washington Island to Jackson Harbor, then take a pedestrian-only ferry to Rock Island. No vehicles or bikes are allowed on Rock Island. Even though the island is relatively small at about 975 acres, it has had an interesting history. In the early 1600s, it was inhabited by a tribe of Potawatomi Native Americans, as well as a small fishing village of European settlers. The two groups did not trust each other and did have a few bad encounters that almost led to violence, but for the most part they lived peacefully together on the island. By the 1640s, the Potawatomi had migrated to other parts of Wisconsin. Shortly after the Potawatomi had left the island, some settlers from the fishing village reported seeing a new group of people on the island. They seemed to be more white settlers, but they wore strange clothes and kept to themselves. No one from the fishing village was ever able to talk to one of these new settlers, or even find where they were living. It was around this time that strange things started to happen in the village. Several animals, it's not mentioned what they were, maybe it was pigs or chickens kept by the settlers, were found slaughtered in the village, and seemed to have been used to make markings in blood on some of the buildings in the village. On a different night, a building used for preserving meat burned down. The villagers felt that these things must have been done by these new people on the island, and they intended to find them, but after a thorough search of the island, including the wooded inland area, they never found a single person. These strange occurrences seemed to stop soon after the search, and none of the other settlers were ever seen again. In 1836, the Potawatomi House was built on the northern part of the island. After construction was finished, the lighthouse was inspected, and it was reported back that the material of which the lighthouse and dwelling are made are of the best quality and that the work is done in a substantive and workmanlike manner. David E. Corbin was appointed the first keeper of the light on December 19, 1837. Only three years later, in 1840, despite the apparent quality of construction of the lighthouse, David Corbin started to complain that plaster started to fall off the building and some sort of liquid would ooze through cracks, leaving the house constantly damp. Corbin was completely alone most of the time at the lighthouse, and some have said when visiting him that he would stare at a certain wall, and sometimes spoke vaguely of the other visitor. In 1845, after eight years of relative solitude at the lighthouse, an inspector visited the lighthouse keeper and determined that while Corbin was fulfilling his duties, he was acting strange. The official report says that the inspector ordered Corbin to take a 25-day leave of absence to find a wife to live with him at the lighthouse. However, some think that the inspector was startled by Corbin's mental state caused by years of solitude and thought it would be best that he spent some time away from the island. In 1852, Corbin reportedly fell ill and died that December in the lighthouse. He was buried in a small cemetery just south of the lighthouse. The next lighthouse keeper also reported the surprisingly quick deterioration of the lighthouse. 
Some friends that had visited the new keeper say that he would talk of seeing strange things in the house at night, but he wouldn't elaborate on what he had seen. In 1858, after only 22 years of service, the original lighthouse was torn down and a new one was built. From that point on, the lighthouse keepers were required to have an assistant keeper or a family with them at the lighthouse. No strange occurrences were further reported in the lighthouse logbook, outside of strong storms and occasional shipwrecks, except on January 20, 1876. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. A keeper at the time named Betts reported that he saw two men attempting to row to the mainland from Washington Island. He wrote, a terrible storm came up shortly after their departure, and they never made it to their destination. Over three months later, on May 3, 1876, Betts wrote the two men who were lost last January have been seen several times. Once from Caney Lighthouse and once from Jacksonport, the men were apparently frozen stiff and sitting upright in the boat among a mass of ice. At last account, they were still drifting. There is not much hope that they will be found and buried. By 1900, most of the island's inhabitants left for better fishing areas on Lake Michigan. In 1910, a successful business owner and inventor, Chester Thordarson, purchased all of the island except for the land that the lighthouse occupied in, the north. He used the island as a private summer retreat from his business in Chicago. Thorderson is responsible for the unique and mystifying buildings and structures that are still on the island today. On the south end of the island, he built a giant stone hall that has a boathouse on the lower level. A stone water tower was built on the east side of the island, and an imposing wooden gate was constructed on the west end of the island. The great hall was used to store Thordarson's immense book collection. He had over 11,000 books, and it's rumored that he possessed some very rare books on the occult in his collection. Thordarson died of heart failure on January 6, 1945, though some have speculated that he saw something that actually scared him to death. I couldn't find any writings from Thordarson, however, that mentioned him experiencing anything strange on the island. After his death, multiple churches and universities were interested in his book collection, but he had willed it to the University of Wisconsin, Madison providing that they had to purchase it for $300,000, which they did. Some of this history is hard to find on the Internet, but there are a couple binders in the Great Hall that has a lot of this documented. Thorderson's personal papers are housed in the archive section of the State Historical Society of Wisconsin. All of this history I gave is just to provide a little context for experiences I have had, directly or indirectly on Rock Island. In August of 2020, one, I took my first and last trip to Rock Island. After taking two ferry rides, I arrived on the island at about 2 p.m. I had booked the remote campsite, which is a backpacking site that is a little over a mile from the dock. 
I took my time hiking out to the site to enjoy the scenery and took a couple breaks just due to how heavy my pack was. I was definitely packed more for camping than hiking. I got to my site, set up my tent, got everything situated, and started gathering sticks and driftwood from the beach so I could start a fire. On my third trip back from the beach, before I got back to my site, I heard a single high-pitched squeal noise coming from the forest. It didn't sound close, but it was such an unusual sound that I stopped in my tracks and waited for a good thirty seconds waiting to see if it would happen again. It didn't, so I continued back to my site. When I got back, I began working on getting a fire started. The remote camping sites on Rock Island are pretty well spaced out. Sites C, D, E, and E are grouped together, but there's probably one hundred yards between each site. There's not a real trail connecting them. Three sites directly, but enough people have walked along the ridge between the three sites that there's an obvious path. As I was setting some sticks up in my fire ring, something caught my eye and I looked up. Fairly far away, it looked like it might have been at site D or a little further. There was a person running in my direction. My first thought was, well, that's odd, because, like I said, it's not even really a trail they were on. Then my mind just went to there must be something wrong and this person needs help. They got a little closer and it looked like maybe it was a woman in loose gray clothes, maybe in a hoodie. It was still far enough away that I couldn't really make out any details. I quickly stood up from the crouching position I was in and just as I did, I heard that high-pitched squeal noise again. It was behind me and it was much closer this time. This startled me quite a bit so I turned around to look behind me. I scanned the trees for a couple seconds, but didn't see or hear anything. I turned back around because I knew the running person must be getting close, but now they were gone. Again, I stood there and scanned the trees, but did not see them anywhere. I was so confused I was kind of frozen for a few seconds. It was all very strange, but I was able to reason it out in my head that it was just a fellow camper from Site C or D. That was maybe running to the pit toilet that was a couple hundred yards west of the sites. I tried to forget about it, but it was really just bothering me. I did not like whatever that squeal noise was, and I just felt strange. With some effort, I decided to let it go and started my fire. I had a quick meal and a couple adult beverages, then decided to take a little walk. I hadn't seen Sat C or D yet, so I thought I would check those out and see if I did have some neighbors camping nearby. Site D was empty. I did see the path that led from that site to the main trail and pit toilet, so that made me feel a little less uneasy about the runner. I figured it was maybe someone from Site C that took a strange way to get to the main trail by going through Site D. It didn't make a ton of sense because I probably still should have seen them, but it made me feel better. I continued on to Site C and saw there was a tent set up. I really didn't want to bother anyone, but I just thought I would go over with the excuse that I would introduce myself as a camping neighbor from Site E and see if anyone looked like they might have been the person running earlier. I came up on the site and there was a couple sitting at the picnic table. Neither of them looked like they would have been the person I saw running. I introduced myself and they introduced themselves. They were probably in their mid-thirties, they were very nice, and both seemed to be pretty drunk, but a quiet drunk. I didn't ask about the runner or the squealing noises because I thought it might be weird. I wished them a good night and walked back to my tent. When I got back, I had a cigar and a few more drinks. 
It got dark, and it started as a perfect night. The sky was clear, and I was just staring up and looking at millions of stars. I felt better about everything from earlier and felt stupid about the whole thing and decided to get some sleep. It was a long day, so I fell asleep almost immediately. Around 2.30 a.m., I woke up by a huge boom of thunder. It started downpouring. The wind picked up and the temperature dropped. I love camping in the rain, but I do not like camping in a lightning storm. A pretty big storm came through and I was starting to worry. The wind was whipping at my tent and the ground was shaking from the thunder and lightning. I did not feel good about being out there in a tent and felt very exposed. The storm lasted for about an hour before it became just a light, steady drizzle. I was just starting to fall back asleep when I heard the squeal noise again. I opened my eyes up wide in the dark and just laid there silent. There was another louder squeal noise, and it was pretty close. I knew there are no real dangerous animals on Rock Island. There are deer and porcupines, but nothing like bear or wolves. Knowing that still didn't make me feel better, though. There was just something about that squeal that I didn't like. I say squeal because that's the best I can describe it. It sounded to me like a pig squeal. I honestly don't know that much about pig noises, but that's what I thought of when I heard it. An injured or angry pig squeal. I continued to lay in my tent and started to hear footsteps outside my tent. It was still raining, so the sounds were a little buried in the sound of rain, but it, it definitely sounded like a somewhat large animal or human walking around. I sat up in my tent and took a knife I had out just to feel better. In my head, I just kept saying, you know, it's just an animal. It's fine. There's nothing in these woods that can hurt you. I listened as the footsteps started moving away from my tent. I just sat there being still holding my knife for maybe ten minutes without hearing anything else. I started thinking to myself, it's fine. It was just an animal. You're being stupid, and you need to get some sleep. I was just about to lay back down when there was a very loud squeal, and it was right outside my tent. It felt like my heart just stopped, and a shiver went down my spine. My heart was beating so hard, my entire body was pulsing, and I felt it in. My ears. It took everything in me, but I forced out to get out of here. Not shouting, but as stern and mean-sounding as I could at that moment. I didn't hear any more squeals or footsteps that night, but I also didn't sleep. I just sat there in my tent for maybe an hour before I laid down. Eventually the rain stopped, and I kept laying there until the sun came up. All that time reassuring myself that I was being stupid. It was just an animal. It was probably 7 a.m. Before I decided I had to get out of my tent to relieve myself. As soon as I stepped outside my tent, I saw that my picnic table had been turned over and was upside down. When I saw this, I surprisingly calmly thought, Okay, this is enough. I'm leaving the island today. I checked my surroundings, and nothing else seemed out of place. I eventually reasoned with myself that the wind had blown the table over during the storm. It still seemed a little strange because the table was pretty heavy and I uh, felt like I would have heard the table flipping over, but that might have made sense. I made some cold instant coffee, had a bite to eat, started to feel better about the whole thing, then decided to go for a hike. I admit, I get easily scared when I'm camping by myself in the woods. Maybe that's natural, 
After I had some coffee and food and the sun came out, I realized that nothing I heard or saw was really anything that couldn't be explained. Other than not getting a good night's sleep, I was having a pretty good time. The reason I came to the island in the first place was to hike the seven-mile Thor Darson's loop trail that has a lot of interesting things to see, and I was excited to start the hike. I packed a few things in my backpack and started off. Fairly close to my site is the water tower. I have no idea how it originally worked or why it had to be a tower, but it's an impressive building with a fireplace that looked like someone had recently had a fire in it. A little further down the trail was a cemetery where two sisters and a few others are buried. It's believed there are still more buried here in unmarked graves. These likely are some of the settlers from the old fishing village. The island has three cemeteries. There is one by the beach, and that's where Chester Thordarson is buried. There's one on the eastern part of the island where the two sisters are buried. And there's one on the northern part of the island where the original lighthouse keeper David, E. Corbin, is buried. There is also at least one Potawatomi burial area on the island, but no one knows exactly where that is. I kept walking on the trail until I came to a nice scenic overlook area with a bench where I sat down and drank some water. I started to hear some talking on the trail ahead of me, but I couldn't see anyone yet. There was a bend in the trail, and the trees were thick, so I sat on the bench, waiting for these people to come around the bend. The voices were coming closer, and I could tell that they weren't speaking English, but I couldn't place what language it might have been. Both voices were very, very deep and guttural. Then back deep in the woods, I hear a loud and quick you-you. Immediately, both the voices I was listening to responded with their own ooh. I kind of smiled, because it sounded like these two heard whatever it was in the woods and they were trying to be funny and mock it by responding. I got off the bench, put my backpack back on and started walking in the direction further down the trail where the voices were coming from, but I never did find these people. The rest of the hike went very well. I visited the cemetery where David E. Corbin is buried. I took a self-guided tour of the Potawatomi Lighthouse. I passed the wooden gate that apparently used to be part of a larger structure. I walked by the great hall and dock area from where I arrived on the island. Visited some of the other structures on the island. Came across the cemetery where Chester Thordarson is buried. Then finished the loop by returning to my campsite. It was a very nice hike with a lot to see and wasn't especially difficult, but I was tired. I did walk down to campsite C to ask the couple I spoke with the night before how they did with the storm during the night, but they had packed up and left. I was disappointed, because I also really wanted to ask them about the squealing noises during the night. The rest of the evening was pretty uneventful. I built a fire, made some meals, had a cigar, and some drinks. As soon as it got dark, I was ready for bed, since I had so little sleep the night before. I got in my tent and quickly fell asleep. I might have been asleep for about three hours when I woke up suddenly and was immediately fully alert. Nothing that I was aware of caused me to wake up. But I felt something was wrong. I sat up in my tent, and this part is a little hard to explain. A feeling of complete dread washed over me. It was unlike anything I had ever felt before. It felt like there was something in the tent with me, and I could feel that it was angry, seething with anger, rageful even, 
and I could feel its hatred for me. It felt like something very bad was about to happen, and I couldn't do anything about it. I started to shiver uncontrollably. There was a smell of garbage or rotten meat, and it got stronger and stronger to the point where I wanted to throw up, but couldn't, because I was frozen. I had never felt so exposed and helpless. I stared forward at nothing, just frozen. And the weird thing is, I accepted whatever was about to happen to me. It was like my brain telling me that whatever is about to happen, even if it's death, will at least be relief. Then I passed out. At least I have to assume I passed out. That's all I remember until I woke up at about 8 a.m. That morning. When I woke up, I was laying outside of my sleeping bag. On top of it, and my legs were in an unnatural and uncomfortable position. And it was on my back with my left leg straight out. And my right leg was bent so that my foot was up against my left knee. My heart started pounding, but I kept thinking to myself it was a dream. I'm leaving right now. It was a dream. I'm leaving right now. I packed up everything very quickly and started back toward the dock to catch the first boat off the island. Since the first boat from Washington Island doesn't arrive until about 10, 30, I had to kill a little time around the Great Hall and dock area. I wanted to get off that island so bad, but I did feel a little better just being out of the woods and I could see other people. I sat down on a bench a little to the east of the dock and lit a cigar just to give me something to do while trying not to think about the night before. I was sitting a few minutes and scanning out over the water when I was startled by someone behind me saying, Hi! I jumped and was embarrassed when the person came around saying, Sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I saw you smoking and just came over to ask if you had a lighter. I felt like an idiot and told him that's fine. I just didn't sleep well last night and was kind of zoned out and I handed him my lighter. He thanked me, lit a cigarette, then handed the lighter back to me. We started talking about the usual things you might talk about. He said he was from the Madison area. We talked about the storms we've been having. He seemed to be a real outdoorsy kind of guy and talked about his plans to move to Washington Island. It was a nice normal conversation and kind of took my mind off the night I just had for a little bit. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Then naturally, he asked me what site I had been staying at. I told him I was staying at the site for the last two nights and he said he usually books that site, but I must have reserved it before him. He said he had booked the site in the last two nights. I was surprised by this because no tent or anything was at sight the two times I walked past the site. I told him this, and he said he comes to the island a few times a year, and you have to book a site, but he actually camps at different areas on the island. I asked him where he camps, and he told me most of the time he camps in the East Cemetery, but he also likes to camp in the woods south of the lighthouse. He told me that he hikes about halfway down the Fernwood Trail and just heads north into the woods where he finds a place to camp. He said that one time he found the ruins of a small log house in those woods and he's going to try and find it again and camp inside of it. At this point, I started to change my opinion about this guy and wanted to change the subject, but then he asked me if I'd heard the screeches in the woods. I took a second to reply and knew he was talking about the squealing I had heard. I told him I had and asked him if he knew what it was. This time he took a second to reply and I saw his face change. He looked as if he was thinking if he should tell me something, like a secret. 
With no expression at all on his face, he said matter-of-factly, a demon lives on this island. Under any other circumstance, I would have laughed this off, but not after what I experienced the night before. He looked at me and must have seen the anxiety and fear I was feeling. He surprised me by letting out a quick laugh. He asked me if I saw anything that night. I told him I hadn't seen anything, and he stared at me like he was trying to figure something out. I felt like he could tell I had experienced something. At this point, I was ready for the conversation to be over. Then he told me he had seen something in the cemetery that night. Now his face and mood kind of changed again like he was trying to confide in me. I really did not want to ask the question, but I knew he wanted me to ask it. So I asked him what he saw in the cemetery, but my voice was shaky. Then I could tell he had changed his mind about telling me. He actually looked at me with empathy and told me that what he saw was hard to explain, but if I was afraid of the screeching noises, he didn't think I should go near the cemetery. I didn't say anything right away, but he said four words without any context. Keepers of the flame. I looked at my cigar and the ash was long. I put it out and told him I was going to wait by the dock for the boat. He nodded, and I started to walk away. After a few steps, he said, hey, and I turned around to look at him. He just said, don't come back here. I turned around and started walking again. I don't know if that was a warning or a friendly suggestion, but I took it to heart. I was definitely not coming back to Rock Island. When I got home, I looked up keepers of the frame as it pertained to Rock Island. I found three things that he could have been referring to. The name of the Native Americans that lived on the island, the Potawatomi, could be translated to Keepers of the Flame. The lighthouse keepers on the island were sometimes referred to as the Keepers of the Flame. Then there was also a 19th century cult that was said to visit the island from time to time that called themselves the Keepers of the Flame. I know that hundreds of people visit Rock Island every year and have a great time camping, hiking the trails, and exploring Chester Thordarson's buildings. My humble suggestion is this. Do not go to Rock Island. 